So often referred to as a game of inches, the game of the year in college football came down to seconds. 108 seconds, the time that Ohio State led Penn State and then eventually ran out the clock for a 39-38 victory. The Lions are not 1-0 this week. We are entering the new week as they will surely return to that mantra heading into Michigan State for right now. They're number seven in the country according to the AP poll, the coaches poll. Right now, I feel like we're always one to know this week, so so that's good on us. Um, but, you know, this game, you could go at it from a variety of angles like most. I wrote immediately afterward just big picture ramifications. In my mind, this loss does not eliminate Penn State, as some had suggested, from playoff contention. Do you agree? I agree. Um, Penn, uh, college football is just so unpredictable, and we saw it last season. Teams just just falling on their faces at, at inopportune times. And if Penn State takes care of business, yeah, they they don't control their own destiny anymore. But right. you know, it's college football. If something's gonna something crazy is gonna happen. There's still big games on the schedule. Do you look at Miami, Notre Dame in a couple of weeks? Of course, the championship game. So Penn State still has a shot. They just don't control their own destiny anymore. So, but but I think certainly they prove that they're good enough to be in the conversation. Yes, and that was really the the crux of my piece. As you look at this game, before the ball was even kicked, they're six-point underdogs on the road at number 6 Ohio State, one of the most hostile environments in college football. The fact that this was a one-point game that they led for more than 57 minutes, I think, speaks volumes about this team. Now, if you look, you know, statistically, they lost in a lot of areas, you know, and that's a credit to Ohio State, of course, um, who I mentioned was favored by about a touchdown. But special teams for the second straight year, was such a strong advantage for Penn State up until that block punt that allowed them to have short fields, take advantage offensively, score with Barkley, co-farm with another long return there in the first half. So, I, I, you know, people want to make exceptions. At the end of the day, one team led this game for 57-plus minutes. Another one won it. And I think it's important to take those kind of factors in consideration. And honestly, that's why the committee was created, is to take those things, injuries, bad bounces, you know, how teams evolve over the course of the season. And the fact that not only just Penn State lost so close, but in the fashion that they did, you know, I think ought to be taken into consideration. And it's just, you know, it's out of our hands, of course. But I think that number seven, we'll see where the official college football playoff ranks come out. That's probably where they'll be. And they could still very well sneak into the top four if they go undefeated. Yeah, it's always crazy. Those will be out Tuesday night. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because Wisconsin's there. Miami's there. Both undefeated teams who, you know, the strength of schedule is not so much. But, of course, you've got a a few one-loss teams that I think will be ahead of them. Going back to Penn State, I, I think you could see the the talent gap between them and Ohio State, who is the standard, who remains the standard in the Big Ten in terms of talent, yeah. has closed. Last year, Penn State got some breaks. It wasn't the, the, the complete luck out that, that a lot of people have labeled it as, but Penn State got some breaks. Penn State didn't need as many breaks last night. They, they started fast. They showed that they had talent right off the bat. Um, and they went with it. So I think the biggest thing to take away, if you're looking for a positive out of this game, and of course, you know, Penn State's not controlling its own destiny anymore, so it's a, that's a huge negative. But the positive, Penn State's talent uh, has closed the gap on Ohio State, and, and that's something that not many Big Ten teams have been able to do. And that's really where you've got to start, too, because what we had heard so much at the beginning of the week was, you know, this is the most athletic team. It's the fastest team we've seen. Defensively, they're going to cover a lot of ground. Offensively, you're a missed tackle away from a touchdown. And the tackling was sure, you know, defense. Defensively, obviously, Ohio State gave them fits. And I think, again, when you look to what were the primary reasons for this loss, one, it was a lack of pass rush. JT Barrett had all the time in the world and absolutely capitalized, completed his last 16 passes. In the fourth quarter alone, 13 of 13 for 170 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, Dare I say Tom Brady-esque. But ultimately, the other side of the ball, in my mind, was just as at fault. And it's difficult to put a fault there because, of course, Ohio State's defensive line is perhaps the best in the country. But you have 13 tackles for loss, 
nearly half of Barkley's handoffs went backwards, and the injury to Ryan Bates only exposed them further. Yeah, no doubt. I, the injuries on both sides of the ball, uh, Bates and Buckholtz. But Ryan Buckholtz going out on the first play of the game. Saw him in a walking boot later. That's not a good sign because um, he had crutches as well. But yeah, just I, I think that was the the big thing in the first half because if you got Buckholtz in there, you're stopping that run a little bit better, and, and I don't think they're going to completely slow down that attack because you know the the, the skill players for Ohio State so good so fast. But uh, if you have Buckholtz in there, I think it's a little bit different uh, of a story up front, and, and and he can get to the quarterback as well. So um, losing Bates, it, it hurt. I don't think it was a kill shot by any means. I mean, it was it was kind of like Brandon Bell and and. We, we've almost gone five five minutes without mentioning the Rose Bowl, which is obviously the parallel that everyone's going to draw from this. It's not a kill shot. You can come back from it. Penn State just did not take care of business with him out of the game. They didn't. And, you know, part of that was they were backed up on that penultimate series before Trace McSorley had a minute 48 to try and make something happen and, and get to, you know, a game-winning field goal or perhaps a touchdown. And I don't blame them. You know, you've got essentially two backup tackles that left and right with Will Fries and Chaz Wright trying to protect in that area. You have a seven-yard loss in the first play. I mean, regardless of where you are in the field, the seven-yard loss on first down essentially kills that drive. Like, you are destined for a punt, and particularly given where they were, it's all over. So I, I think... Ultimately, the offensive line, you know, just it, it lost the battle start to finish, most glaringly towards the end. And you can't afford to be in that kind of spot against this team. And I think what it speaks to, again, if you want to you know, build a case against Penn State, which in my mind, you can't do just simply saying they lost. E- each of the champions in the college football playoff era to date have lost. And they all did it at home, Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State. But if you were to imagine... Penn State playing any one of those teams this year, and you look at their defensive fronts, I think you see a very similar game play out and perhaps even worse for the Lions. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of the gripes uh, that we've seen, at least on our message boards at Lions 24-7, are with the play calling, and you can certainly get that. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's it's a little bit of both execution, play calling. Penn State just got off schedule. I mean, the, the, this was something where their first down calls were just not doing anything. Ohio State brought those uh, multiple looks in with their, the four defensive ends, and, and their front four just ran things. And it was basically... Um, that was the, the entire the story of the entire second half. So their front four was able to attack. Penn State played on its heels, whether that was uh, you know just inexperience or whatnot playing out with, with with fries and then with Wright coming in cold. It's hard to say, but yeah, Penn State played a defensive game with the ball in their hands in the, in the entire fourth quarter, pretty much. Well, you know, I want to go back to that for a minute because I think of all the gripes that you see out there, which you know, again, I give no credence to. Oh, Penn State's out, or like you know, this says something definitively about this team that we didn't already know. This is a, a very good team they established that but the play calling not on the second to last series but the one before then when you're inside the red zone they start out the seven yard line three yard gain for McSorley another one yard rush for McSorley and then Barkley's thrown back on third down for two and it was the sequence of those three straight runs when you had converted on this fantastic third down to Mike Kosicki down the left sideline when he had made that grab to put them in, in field goal range that I think disappointed a lot of fans because they see that when you're up eight as playing you know, it's safe for the field goal as opposed to going for, as you mentioned, kind of a a kill shot there and going for a touchdown. And I think what's left out of that consideration is the fact that at that point, you're also still trying to drain clock. It might not be down to the final two or three minutes, but with five or six there, if you throw an incompletion, you're handing Ohio State the time it needs to go down the field and get the two scores. Because let's say, as exactly Penn State did, you don't get in the end zone, which you've got a compressed space, you're facing a lot of good athletes defensively, they're going to cover that ground and the field shrinks in you more than it even physically does. That 
Ohio State still needs to score twice, and that's a round of possession you know you're going to get, and that it, you don't score. So all three of those things have to fall into position, even if you just kick that field goal as they did. Of course, each of those things transpired, and that's why we sit here today. But I, I think it's a little harsh to go all in on that play calling without considering the clock. Yeah, absolutely. And and on top of that, I mean, it's it's an RPO. I mean, it's it's not, you know, it's not just give the ball or McStorley running a QB draw or something like that. There are options there and, you know, kid made the wrong read. I mean, there's really, you know, you you could have given the ball to Barkley on second down and and you can second guess this all day, but I mean, they just didn't get it done. And and at the end of the day, the the lack of push up front has hurt them in in critical times all year. And it certainly hurt them there. And I'm really glad you said that because you want to know how Ohio State was hurting Penn State on the ground in the first half. I do. It was the exact same concepts Penn State was running, just ineffectively with their own offensive line. I mean, that's where you win. There, there's so much. Again, we keep going to griping. I mean, I know it's after a loss, but you know, at some point you got to block out the noise, just as you know, supposedly the players do to us. Anyway, the the griping about these delayed handoffs and the reads, and they need to get rid of that. The concept in the design is fine, and you saw that because Ohio State's offense is so darn similar to Penn State's, and they moved up and down the field on the lines. J.K. Dobbins was rolling in the first quarter. I don't know why they decided not to give him the ball in the second, but whenever he touched it, J.K. Uh, J.T. Barrett, of course, you know, was moving all around the field on those keeps. The runs work. It's just a matter of getting a body on a body. Of course, it's much harder when you're facing the caliber of defensive line that, that Ohio State's going to roll out. Yeah, they were they were dominant. I mean, and, and and Penn State was just pushed back all night, and and some of that scheme, some of that's you know just physical brute mentality. And we we talk about the talent gap. There's still a significant you know uh, there uh, maybe not significant, but there's still a ways to go for Penn State up front on both sides of the ball. Right, and I think offensively, probably just more from a development perspective. Right, you know the, the raw talents there, but you need that experience in that season to get up to you know the offensive lines that you're seeing from the likes of Ohio State, Michigan a year ago, where they're just able to move at will. Last thing before we move on to game ball, recruiting update, predict the presser, and a little bit of Michigan State. On the other side, pass rush I mentioned was not existing. We talk about Ryan Buckholz's impact, which you could see on those runs that I just mentioned, you know, inexperienced the ends or, you know, having caught in between a, a Barrett keep or a handoff. The you're, you're taking a 270-pound defensive end out of there and putting in a 225-pound redshirt freshman, uh, you're going to have mistakes. So. Yeah. The other part about that is, and I posted this in defensive snap counts uh, on Sunday as we record here late on a Sunday night. Sharif Miller played just a hair under 80% of the snaps. A, you have never seen that from Penn State so far outside of games like Iowa where they only had 47 snaps and were able to rest for long stretches in between where the offense is on the field. But B, that can't continue. You know, they've had injuries to Buckholz, to Orange Brown. Presumably Buckholz will be out next week. And I think what this means is, of course, you're going to see a lot more Shaka Tony each are Gross Matos and Shane Simmons. So Gross Matos and, and Shane Simmons honestly didn't play that many more snaps than they had in their previous games. But Kevin Givens is going to need to see time at the end. And I think, honestly, if you're Penn State, you probably would have anyway, considering the offense you're going to see in the Spartans. But this is a concern because you can't have your, your best pass rusher in Miller continue to play these rate of snaps or he will wear down just as he did in the fourth quarter at Columbus. Yeah, and to his credit, he played pretty well. Um, but, but yeah, Givens has got to be a guy that steps up there. You've got you know good numbers on the interior. Um, they didn't play horrible on, on Saturday night, but you've got good numbers on the interior. You take Givens out there, you, you stop the run a little bit better. You know They, they switched to that look. For, I believe the Iowa game was the first time we saw yeah. that. Um, they switched to that look for Iowa. It was effective, and 
you know, Givens is athletic enough to do it. And you might sacrifice a little bit of pass rush, but Givens is pretty explosive off the ball himself. And, and you can also get Shaka Tony in there on third down or Shane Simmons in there on third down and work some things. So that that's tough. That's a tough pill to swallow, losing him on the first play of the game because all of a sudden you're scrambling. Um, you, you know, you go from a specialist like Tony, a third down pass rushing specialist, to having to play every down, and, and, and you're going to take lumps, especially when you're playing against one of the best combinations in, in, in the country right there. So Givens is going to have to be a key guy for them moving forward. You hope Buckholz, uh, you know, the sprain or something like that, but it, it didn't look too good. He looked to be in significant pain, so... Uh, they, they carted him off. Yeah, they they, they carted him off. He, he came back uh, out and and was with the team and everything, but obviously uncomfortable. But I mean, it's uh, it's an issue now. Uh, you know, teams know how to attack that, and you're not going to get that same style um, or, or that same talent level anywhere close to it until you play a bowl game. But uh, yeah, it's it, it's got to be something that they address. And I'm sure Sean Spencer will be on that uh, all week. Now I mentioned Sharif Miller playing almost 80 percent of the snaps, 62. That was a high for the last season and a half, except for Garrett Sickles playing 63 in the Rose Bowl. Of course, that game had 10 more snaps than this most recent one did. Chaka Tony jumped up to 44 from a previous season high of 26 snaps. I was shocked to see him as in as often as he was in A, non-obvious passing downs, and in the first half knowing that you had a big lead, you probably want to preserve him for the second half, and you're not rolling out, you know, distributing those snaps more evenly to Gross Matos and Shane Simmons. Did that surprise you? That, he's a splash guy, so yeah, that, that surprises me. He's a guy they put in there, in there to make plays, and, you know, if you if you put him in for more snaps, his 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 rate of being effective is going to go down. So that, And it I, did. It, I mean, that, that's what I wrote in Tale of the Tapes that's out this morning. Yeah, I, absolutely. So I I don't know that the, the right answer was Shaka. I, th- I think it's a mixture of things. I saw some good things from Gross Matos. Simmons made a couple nice plays on the edge. But, yeah, it's just a, a significant drop-off when you go from Buckholz to that next one. And this is where they miss Torrance Brown like crazy. Yep, real solid, fundamental guy. You can play for a lot of snaps. So it's it's going to be interesting. Both sides of the ball, you're looking at the trenches. How will those develop? You know, injuries Young guys stepping up. I mean, they're going to need it because, you know, Michigan State, of course, not the same talent level, but physically, they're going to bring it up front. Yeah. That's, that's where you've got to at least meet them, uh, which Penn State was not able to do against the Buckeyes, really on, on either side of the ball, and particularly as the game moved on. But we still have game balls to give out, win or lose. I'm going to give mine to Troy Appy. We have not mentioned him yet. He made a number of splash plays in that first half, blew up Ohio State's final drive of the first half on first down with a tackle for loss. He stopped another drive on fourth down with a tackle two yards shy on the sticks on one of their their best plays. It's a mesh concept we covered last Friday. And had a late pass breakup in the first quarter, which I discovered, I believe, covered up for a coverage bust with Tariq Castro-Fields as they were making a check. It didn't get to the freshman in time, so Happy sprints back, has a wherewithal to bat the ball away in time and get there. And and overall, I think we would have had a lot more discussion about him had this been a win. Yeah, absolutely. I think Apke played probably his best game, Um, and, and that's where that experience comes into play. You mentioned came over the top, I mean, just closed incredibly fast and, and knocked that ball away, which could have been a touchdown. Um, so, yeah, Apke was involved probably more than anybody. Marcus Allen led the team with 10 tackles, nine of them solo, so he was back there. And, and you don't want to have your, your safeties be in your top tacklers, but they were effective. I mean, and if you look at how Ohio State ran, won the ball game, it's tough to single out anybody on that defense considering, you know, you're talking guys running wide open and, and just hitting those seams and things like that. But, you know, Apke deserves to be mentioned, and he's been a guy that's been dumped on, you know, pretty much his entire career. So to, 
to see him play well was certainly good, and to see the he's reaction. Been good. I mean, we yeah, that yeah, we, we say time. that a couple, you know, every every week, but to see the reaction from his former teammates on Twitter and things like that, I think is really cool to see as yeah. well. Who got your game ball? Uh, I'm going to go with Trace. I, I I had Apke as well. Um, McSorley, you know, for for the good part of that game, made some plays with his feet, got out of the pocket. Um, could it could have been better throwing on the run, but he ended up Penn State's leading rusher. Of course, uh, you know, Barkley had the kick return and the big touchdown run, but uh, McSorley was was good enough. I think good enough to win. Um, you know, it, I think that's fair. I think it's I, I think it's absolutely fair. He threw some some really good balls at times. I, I mean, you just look at the the touchdown to Deshaun Hamilton in the first half. I mean, the throw he threw right before that, where what Hamilton couldn't haul in, might have been a better throw. I mean, he was he was on point for some. Um, you know, throwing on the run was an issue. He missed Mike Desicki a couple of times. Uh, could have pulled it down a couple more times in the first half, and I think he made those adjustments and did pull it down a couple times in the second half and got some running room. So I'm going to go with McSorley. Of course, coming off a loss, it's so hard to uh, to throw that out there as far as game balls or whatnot. But hey, I think, again, he played well enough to win. Two touchdowns, no interceptions, no turnovers overall. Completion percentage over 50%. A year ago, is 8 of 23 against this defense, and that's at home. Of course, it's a very different team. Than and he it was threw it across the line of scrimmage this year. Yeah, stat of the week that everyone hated, but you know, everyone, you know, hating means you're doing something right, and I, I know that's exactly what I was doing with that stat. Um, anything going on, right or wrong, with recruiting? Not a ton. Uh, away games, not nothing much happening. Uh, Penn State went and saw Tyreek Smith when they were in the Ohio. Sean Spencer went out and saw five-star Zach Harrison, which is not far from Columbus, and he was at the game on Saturday, and, and saw Aeneas Hawkins out in Cincinnati as well. So yep. um, just getting those trips out of the way when they were in Ohio. Uh, Terry Smith and Tim Banks were down in Florida watching um, Jordan Minor and Judge Culpepper play against each other. So, you know, you got an opportunity to see two guys play against each other. They're going to be on your roster in a couple of months. Um, so that's good. Not a ton. I mean, I, the, we had a question, and I'm not even sure if it made the mailbag this week, of, of what implications this single game would have I on I think it did. It did? Okay. Well, we'll, we'll address it now. Why not? Right. Um, so it, it's not going to have a big, uh, a big impact from the Penn State side of things. If something changes – it's it's the positive that goes with Ohio State. I mean, it was a great atmosphere. Um, you know, you and I were talking. We both love Ohio Stadium. It's one of the great venues in the country. That atmosphere was loud. It was you know on par um, with with the whiteout in terms of if, if you're comparing them side by side. Well, I would I would make one exception in that the blackout was not a it was not good blackout no, it yes. was not good no no, no. no. in terms but of noise in though. terms of noise and atmosphere of course it's it's a tremendous game uh you know game, college football game of the year pretty much so um so it's going to have that kind of impact for ohio state um a, a guy that i look to that we've talked about on the podcast before noah potter um Ohio State offered him over the weekend. Penn State offered him a few weeks ago. And, you know, they're, they're the top two schools, but he's an Ohio kid. So you look at that and you're like, man, this, this kid's probably going to end up a Buckeye. And that, that's not a huge surprise. He had a couple uh, mutual targets there. Uh, Zach Harrison we mentioned earlier. Tyreek Smith was there. So um, I don't think this is going to have a, a like an impact. that It's going to hurt Penn State recruiting. But when you're going head-to-head with those guys, it's going to help Ohio State recruiting. So I think that's the big thing to take away from it. It would be fair to say, too, that it wasn't so much a negative for Penn State, but the um, the gains that were missed potentially from this were, were significant. Yeah, I think had so. Had they won, you know, there was something really to be had. But, you know, since they did lose, yeah, there wasn't and that's more, that's more two straight wins against Ohio State right. and, and showing that you're on that level. And I think Penn State did show they were on that level, even though they, they did not come out with the, with the win. So... 
it, it's not a huge deal. I don't think so. But Penn State's showing they're on that that process, and I, I think it goes back to, you know, is this too much too fast for Penn State? I mean, you know, they're all of a sudden on this level with some other elite programs, whereas two years ago they were seven and six. I mean, it, it almost knocks you off schedule when you when you're James Franklin and you're talking about where you want to be in a couple of years as a program, and all of a sudden you're there. It's kind of like, oh, well, this is changing up things. So we're seeing guys that got early offers that aren't targets anymore that maybe would have been taken two years ago. So it, it really changes things up, and it's a good problem to have. I mean, no doubt about sure. it. Penn State's still a top five, top ten team. It's a good problem to have, but at the same time, it's just a, a change that the coaching staff has had to address, and they'll deal with it. I mean, it's it's, it's not something that's going to kill them. That knowing being known as an elite college football right. program, yeah. Um, there's something that I have had to deal with ever since Tuesday afternoon. Oh, I didn't, boy. I didn't bring it up to you. I was surprised you did not bring it up to me, and I appreciate it. But we have to address it now. Okay. I am trailing in predict the presser. Wow. 16 to 15. I went over. Not only just like oh for whatever, but oh for four. Oh for everything. With everything, the player, the game picks, the extra prediction on the side. Uh, big zero. Now, a couple of them were a little bit bolder, and that was purposeful, but you're ahead 16 to 15. And this week is different, as we mentioned, you know, Penn State loses. So they're not going to announce, we presume. Or at least they haven't in the past. Yeah. Right, right. Players of the week uh, on Tuesday when we meet with James and then, you know, review and then look ahead to Michigan State. So we will just do a single prediction. I cannot retake the lead I've had all season until now, um, but could tie things up depending on how things are going. And this is what I'll say this week. When Penn State has played pro-style offenses, James loves to go to the comparison. They play like a Stanford or a Michigan or other teams that kind of, you know, heavy run game, followed up with a play-action pass and trying to get you in that style. So I think we'll hear the mention of Michigan State's offense being described like either Stanford or Michigan. I think that's fair. And, and he's gone to that several times. I went with a cop out, and you know, coming off the loss, the the plan not to lose now. I, you. I got the lead. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit on it. I'm gonna run three straight <laughs> plays, three straight running plays. Anyway, um, no, I'm gonna go with uh, you, you know. Saw how well that ended. They, they they can control the things that they can control, and they're they're all their focus is being one and zero this week, and that's not. I mean, that's going to be something that he says pretty much every week. Yeah, I was going to say, you know what? If I really wanted to ask him, like, what do you think about your new polls? Like, I could get that answer. You could. You could. But You could do that if you... I don't. I don't want to ask questions. Anyway, um, no, I mean, I think it's an added emphasis. I think he puts an added emphasis on that. Just to to not deal with the Ohio State questions, because there's going to be a bunch of questions about play calling and, and trying to run out the clock and not finishing. And I thought he... I thought he handled that pretty well um, after the game on Saturday night. But, of course, you watch the tape and you you always have something to add. But, yeah, I mean, it's forward focus all the way for James Franklin on Tuesday. And I, I don't see a problem with that. I think that's the way to go. Okay. Forward focus for us as well. We are on to Michigan State. Spartans are 6-2. and two. Last weekend they fell in triple overtime at Northwestern, a game that, I mean, I don't care what the – over-under was. You'd kind of take the under knowing those two teams and those offenses, but uh, obviously they went over going to triple overtime. They're now number 24 in the AP poll. Don't know where they'll shake out in the college football playoff rankings until Tuesday night, but this is a team that's been better than expected. Their other loss was to Notre Dame, obviously a very respectable defeat given where the Irish are currently. Otherwise, they have one score wins over Iowa, Michigan in a monsoon, Minnesota, and Indiana. Those, to me, uh, impress less than their defeats, to be quite honest. Yeah, that that six and two number. You know, if you look a little bit closer at it, you know, some of that is impressive, some of it not. I mean, it, it, I think 
what you knew about uh, Michigan State is that this coaching staff, and they've been as consistent as anybody in the Big Ten, save for last year, was not going to let that happen again. They're they're a good staff. They're they you know pretty much focus on the little things. They got rid of some guys that were problems, so I think that 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 certainly helped. And now they have a quarterback. I mean, not a great quarterback, but considering where they were at last season at quarterback, uh, Brian Lewerke, he's you right. know he's he, he's all right. So um, Michigan State, another team. You know, you talk about your Iowa or whatnot that you know exactly what you're going to get. So Michigan State's going to go back to to what they do best, and I think that's they kind of got away from that last season, and and, and sort of things just slipped away. So they're going to get back into to what they do. You mentioned the pro style off. Offense. I don't know if Lewerke's a, a guy that can beat a top ten or a top twenty-five team by himself or anything like that. But you but know, that's not the way they're they, built is to put it on his shoulders. Right, anyway. right. That's the way they've done it for years. And uh, I don't think he can beat you. But at the same time, I don't know that the talent level is where it was a couple of years ago when they went to the college football playoff and just not as consistent across the board. You know, I was about to go in the direction of like, has Michigan State produced many quarterbacks? that have really produced at the next stop level. Stop No, I kid, I kid you not. I was going to stop myself because I go Connor Cook first. And I'm like, okay, who is behind him? And you skip a couple of generations. And, oh, hey, Kirk Cousins. And most recently, of course, Kirk is not coming through in the clutch for you. So as much as I'm now explaining it and bringing it to light, that's what I wanted to avoid uh, by doing this. But here we are. So uh, are you are you okay about the loss to Dallas on Sunday? No, I'm not okay about the loss to Dallas on Sunday. But we're not. this is not a Redskins podcast. Thank God I would... <laughs> need to drink a lot more than I actually do if well, that were the case. We go a little further inside when I texted you like, hey, I have beer here, you know, when we're about to record if that helps and you go, well, what? what's the ABV on that? <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't high enough. Yeah, so. and I said 100. So. Anyway, back to Penn back, State. Well, we talked about the offense, pro style. You're not expecting a lot of points, you know, unless they go to triple overtime as seen last weekend. Defensively, a lot of quarters coverage. Same as you saw from Pitt, Pat Narduzzi, of course, a former defensive coordinator with the Spartans. And a year ago, you know, you see the final score, and you go, Penn State blew them out, regular season finale wasn't close. At halftime, this was a close game. And it had a lot to do with the fact that they were able to control Saquon Barkley for his worst game of the season. But, of course, what did Penn State do? They hit the Spartans deep, a couple of big connections with Chris Godwin. Eventually, you're to 45 points, and Michigan stuck back at, I believe, 12. So, again, I, I spoke with a couple of Spartans during Big Ten Media Days in July about, you know, how do you defend Saquon Barkley in addition to a number of coaches. And they said, listen, you know, we felt we had a good plan. It's a lot of twists up front, and, and it's easy just to say that, but it's a matter of where you do it along the line. And I think the twists inside handle the inside zone, provided that your linebackers then hang on to the, control the edges, and then your safeties have to take the alley in the event that he spills out further outside. That's what I would expect from them again. So if Penn State is going to get a fast start in my mind, I, I wouldn't count on it in the ground because I still think they're strong in the front seven. But if you were able to hit some of those deep shots, we saw DeAndre Tompkins at Ohio State, something along those lines, Saeed Blackmail perhaps, um, that's where I think they're going to get this going again early. Because I think the fast start is going to be huge in East Lansing. Yeah, absolutely. You hit it. I think you hit it on the head. If you get some shots downfield, you can open this defense up, make them play a little wider, and you're going to see the difference in the defense between a, someone like Ohio State and someone like Michigan State. Michigan State, you know, a good, solid football team, doesn't have the athletes that, to cover the ground that Ohio State had. So I think if you can open them up a little bit, mention the fast start, if you can get another you know big kick return and get into good field position, uh, you got a shot to, to, to sort of roll some things up pretty quickly. Obviously, it's not going to be the blowout, uh, or we don't think it's going to be the blowout that we saw last season. And 
But, uh, you know, I think the, the coaching staff at Michigan State, they've done a good job bringing that team back around, keeping them grounded. What's going to be interesting to me is if Michigan State – recruited a killer D-line class a couple of years ago, and most of those guys are gone. I mean, they, Josh King's gone, Austin Robertson. I mean, these guys were issues, and D'Antonio took care of that to his credit, and they're not as deep up front as they could be or as, or as they could have been. Um, so that's a credit to them, and I think Penn State could, could, could benefit from something like that. All right. Well, we'll do more breakdown on Friday, as we always do, right before kickoff. So on to the mailbag. We already did one question about recruiting impact from Saturday. Not a whole lot for Penn State. It's a bonus for Ohio State. Next question, this deals a lot with what we've seen on Twitter and even you know among some colleagues, to be quite frank, on the beat. Um, any common threads you see between this collapse and the Rose Bowl or reasons for concern? I would like to leave this at just no. I feel like that would be selling some folks short because obviously this is a concern. So why don't you take it care for me? I think there's a little bit there. Um, you know, 33 completions for Barrett, 33 for Sam Darnold last year, which was an amazingly coincidental stat. But yeah, I mean, you you blow two score leads in a quarter or a quarter and a half or whatever, and, and, and there will be issues there. I don't think it's a trend. I don't think it's something that, you know, they, they purposely went into a hole for, um, you know, in either game. Um, but at the same time, you, you got a little conservative. Uh, I, we mentioned it last week on the podcast that these coaches, especially when they go on the road, and, and the Rose Bowl was a road game for all intents and purposes, uh, you get a little bit more conservative, and, and that sort of thing can happen. What I liked about when, when Penn State got the ball after the fumble, um, when Sharif Miller hopped on the fumble, they, they stuck with their game plan. They threw the ball. They were able to, to do some things that they did all game long, and they had it successfully to get the ball down inside the five. Uh, and they they kind of got away from that. And whether that's you know Ohio State's approach. Well, this and, is a little later because right after the fumble is when they had the block punt. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. But I know what you mean. They yeah. didn't totally deviate from what they, they've been doing. Yeah, they didn't get away from what they like to do until that sequence inside the five. So that that that's really, I think, maybe what it comes down to is if you stick with what got you there, and they did it. We had some people saying every time they get a two score lead, they get into they get into the shell. That's just not true. I mean, it's, it's not no, happening. I'm just going to get double down again on that and, and just say, listen, the common threads that are important here are things outside of Penn State's control, and that you have phenomenal quarterbacks to JT Barrett and Sam Donald. That's obvious. They stepped up in the fourth quarter. What they have to do with pass rush couldn't get home. Well, in the Rose Bowl, you're just looking at an offensive line that just sent a couple of guys to the NFL, or at least went in the draft. This time around, you had a starting defensive end go down. That starting defensive end was filling in for a different starter who went down earlier in the season. Filling in for them were freshmen who we already mentioned had been playing snaps that they had never played before. Not only just in terms of, of total number, but in the situation of the fourth quarter, in terms of downs that are you know not obvious run or pass situations. And then you've got another guy on the opposite side who was playing unprecedented snaps in 80%. They ran out of gas. Ohio State was going at a tempo they had only seen once before in Indiana, a game that they had in the bag early. So you take all those factors into consideration. That's what stands out to me here. I mean, great players are going to make great plays. You are going to get tired against that kind of tempo unless your offense is able to generate more scores or you're able to generate more stops. And when you have a short bench, it's only going to amplify those problems. So I would say relax. You know, we've already touched upon why the pass rush might be an issue moving forward until Buckholz gets back, if he can get back. But beyond that, you know, this is not any concern. You play top teams in the country. They're going to have a chance to make comebacks when you put them down, as Penn State did. Unfortunately for them, you know, it happened. But you look again at Michigan. They're up two scores going into the fourth quarter. That was no problem. Mm -hmm. It's a good team. Doesn't have a great quarterback. But still, 
it's not a matter of we got up two scores, let's go into our shell. It's no reason for concern. Any? Are, are you concerned about me after all that? No, I'm, I'm wondering <laughs> if you rehearsed that. You know, you had a trip back to today. I wasn't sure if that was something you planned out, but no. Uh, moving on to the, the playoff hopes. This question I like a lot. Yeah, what's more critical to the college football player hopes? Is it Ohio State losing, or is it one of the other one-loss teams that that we might perceive to be ahead of Penn State in the, in the the upcoming rankings that come out on Tuesday night? Uh, is an Ohio State loss more meaningful than one of those other teams losing? Okay, here's the issue with Ohio State losing. First of all, you want every team that you have recently played to then perform as well as possible moving forward. I think that goes without saying. If Ohio State loses, you know they still will have a tiebreaker over you in a head-to-head because let's say Penn State goes undefeated. There's no chance of a round robin with Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan State because the Spartans have just lost to Northwestern. Had that happened, then you might have a shot if you're Penn State of making the Big Ten title game. Right now, that requires Ohio State to lose twice. I will get this out of the way now. That's not going to happen. So, in my mind, you want them to perform as well as possible. Is that as solid as your Tommy Stevens package you guarantee? Oh, yeah, you know what? We probably should have hit on that earlier before we could sneak that little dagger in before we're about to sign off. Uh, yeah, that guarantee of Tommy cousins. Stevens. I'm coming back at you. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Um, <laughs> kill Kirk. Uh, <laughs> Captain Kirk. Uh, no, yeah, Tommy Stevens didn't happen. I thought it would have. He was ready to go. I saw him moving up to Moorhead as they got in the red zone. Eight snaps, though. Didn't didn't see him once out there. Moving back to Ohio State losing. You want that loss to look as good as possible. I think the, the benefit of a Notre Dame losing, because they right now are the only team in the country that can say, I have a better one loss than you do. Because their loss, of course, was at home to Georgia earlier in the season. Now, if you're Penn State, you could argue ours was on the road. We had a big lead. Recovery time something. Right. But if, if, if Notre Dame suffers a second loss, I think that vaults Penn State ahead of them without question. I'm right there with you. I think Notre Dame controls Penn State's destiny in terms of getting back into that mix. And there's a couple other teams there. Oklahoma's there. That uh, Miami-Notre Dame game in two weeks is going to be huge. Um, you know, it, it, I think what could come down to there, what could what could really help Penn State is that ACC just uh, taking care of itself. Maybe Clemson gets another loss or something like that. The way I look at it, the SEC champ is in, the Big Ten champ is in. Um, you know, maybe the ACC champ, and then you got a couple other uh, programs. Notre Dame's there, Penn State's certainly there in, in in my mind, and then of course the loser of the SEC championship. If Georgia comes out and plays Alabama close. They have an opportunity to sneak in as well. So, right. you know, maybe perhaps someone in the Big Twelve, yeah. depending on how things go. Yeah, I think Oklahoma is probably the only team that that could make that run. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, this is thinning out by the week, and, it, and this isn't the group. I don't think this is the group that's going to be there at the end. You know, something crazy is going to happen. Oh, no, we talked does. about it before, so. Um, I don't think an Ohio State loss really does a ton for you. Um, if they if they win the Big Ten uh, championship game over what yeah, would seemingly have to be Wisconsin, then I think they're in, even if they have two losses. So I, I just uh, the, they've got the pull, and and that's what it comes down to. So I think a team like Notre Dame losing would, would mean more than a team like Ohio State losing. Yeah, I think you want to thin out people that are ahead of you that you can you know you have a better argument against. I mean, head to head didn't serve Penn State a year ago, but I think. When you look at Ohio State a year ago, they had that win against Oklahoma in their back pocket. That was the resume right. builder strength of schedule as the second, um, you know, item in terms of their how they're evaluating these teams right behind championships. One, I have a bone to pick with a lot of that, but that's for a different podcast. So the thing is here, because Penn State does not have the option for another signature win as Ohio State did a year ago, I think the argument of oh we'll beat you to head to head, you know, didn't work out last year, and I don't think it will follow again this year because. It's it's a different set of circumstances for Penn State 
as a one-loss team in 2017 than Ohio State as a one-loss team in 2016. But the most important thing, if you're going to take anything away from this, I think we agree you want a team like Notre Dame to lose. Yeah. And B, there is so much football still to be played. Breath about this kind of conversation, in my mind, is almost wasted outside of the fact that it's kind of fun. It is. But kind beyond of, that, yeah. just just let it all play out. They, and Penn State's got to take care of business, of course. The biggest hurdle, East Lansing, this weekend. We will be back to talk about that on Friday. And then, of course, you close the schedule with uh, you know a couple of guys, a, a couple of teams that Penn State should beat. So they take care of business and they win impressively because if you win, imp- if you close out, you win your last four games impressively. You look back and for the committee in December and you see a one point loss at Ohio State, which is also in the mix. That's a pretty good resume booster, even though it's a loss. Yeah, I would expect to see a lot of Saquon Barkley in the fourth quarter for that exact reason. And the Heisman race, which we didn't talk about this episode, we'll go back to it on Friday and a variety of other things. Penn State, Tanaka, want to know that will be the goal this week is ahead to Michigan State. Should be a tough one, but we will have you well prepared for kickoff in the next episode of the Lions 24-7 Podcast. Mm-hmm.